0: Welcome to All About Blockchain. We're showcasing the work of scholars funded by the University Blockchain Research Initiative, UBRI. Ripple founded UBRI in 2018 with a 50 million philanthropic gift towards global university partners. Our goal is to accelerate understanding, innovation and adoption in blockchain. And to find out more about this, you can go to ubri.ripple.com. This show gives a voice to those academics developing real world use cases that solve for today's challenges. My name is Lauren Weymouth and I'll be your host. So today's episode, we are discussing attempts at tokenizing real-world assets. And I particularly love this conversation because I'm ending my day and you're starting yours. So it's, it's kind of fun with the time change. Thanks, We're so excited to welcome Scott Chamberlain as our guest today. He is an entrepreneurial fellow and a lawyer at the Australian National University. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you very much.
1: my pleasure to be here.
0: So given your background, we're really curious, what drew you to blockchain technology?
1: So when I was in legal practice, I had a stint at being like a legal entrepreneur. At my firm, we we invest a lot of time and money in doing a a digital transformation project, trying to automate legal services for our clients. So there's been a, a real interest in trying to reduce the barriers for people to access Access to justice. There's a lot of talk about access to justice, but the truth is, almost no one gets access to justice. It, law, law is an expensive thing for lots of people to access, and trying to find solutions to those problems that the digital world, you know, potentially can solve those. Um, so that was my my background coming into the university, and then along came this thing called called blockchain and smart contracts. And the attraction for me of that technology is is its ability to remove the middleman. So this capacity for, for trustworthy peer-to-peer relationships that, that everyone can trust, just have that, you know, potentially that unlocks enormous value. The law is full of middlemen. In fact, our whole society is full of powerful gatekeepers that very often now stand in the way of, of people doing you know, the things they need to do. You're waiting on permission from third parties for, for people to relate And I really thought that that technology seemed to have a lot of promise in the legal game. The other, the other aspect of the technology, which was attractive when you do digital stuff, the the thing that comes up straight away is, yeah, but it's easy to hack or yeah, but someone else gets your data and potentially the smart contract blockchain space solves those problems too.
0: I can hear two specific use cases with removing middlemen and contract work that have kind of inspired your work and had you look deeper into it. Are there any examples of some commercialized applications of blockchain that have also had your attention?
1: This technology is so new and so fresh. The use cases are still being explored. It's quite funny when you go to some of these conferences, there's all this talk about regulation and standards and you know we're regulating this beast before we even know what it's useful for it's it's a really weird kind of world so you know the standout at the moment you just the guys the guys that did the bitcoin project just proved you could do money without a man in the middle that's an extraordinary achievement and if you can do money well, what else can we do without a man in the middle and we're still all exploring you know how that all works and what its potential is.
0: What are your go-to resources to stay fresh on the material and what's happening?
1: Twitter. In this space, um, I make enormous use of Twitter. The the crypto community on Twitter is quite active. It's very diverse. Sometimes it's quite tribal and a little bit vicious. But with everything happening so quickly and so many people doing experiments, you know, they're regularly posting what they're up to on Twitter. I found stuff on Twitter I would not find any other way. And if you're relying on Academic journals and you know peer-reviewed articles for your information. Well, you're out of date by the time those things are through the system. I've really found Twitter to be an enormously useful resource.
0: Well, let's get to the meat of why I brought you on here today no pen intended but it's to talk about <laughs> it's to talk about digital cows I saw you know that you you posted that you were working on this as part of the university blockchain research initiative and it really caught my eye the idea of tokenizing Australian cattle can you tell us why you're focused on cattle what challenges you're trying to solve yeah sure so
1: Canberra is a unique or almost unique sort of place right where we're the capital of Australia but Five minutes from Canberra CBD are working farms. You know, there's a rural community around us. And I I have friends in that community, one of them, a mate of mine, who's an ag consultant who worked for the U.S. Embassy and the U.S. Department of Ag, and he runs his own cows. And we were talking about blockchain and smart contracts and what I was doing at the university. And particularly, we're talking about a, a digital identity project that I was working on, where we were going to scan the RFID chips that are in your modern passports as a basis for getting your identity from you know the real world onto the digital world and he's like well cows have got RFID chips in their ears can we can we tokenize cows I'm like well in theory maybe let's let's talk about it as, as you drill down into it you discover that there's an enormous need to try and find a way of digitizing cows the, the Australian market we're not a big beef producer, but most of what we produce is exported because of our small population. So we are, in fact, the world's second largest exporter of beef behind Brazil. And we have a, a very detailed paper-based system for trying to track cows from birth to slaughter, in, including these RFID chips that go, uh, the tags that go on a cow's ear and that rigorous paper based system plus, plus the tags offers the possibility of, of being able to tokenize these cows, get these real world cows and have a digital representation in a way that's trustworthy enough that you could have a market for, for tokens in cows. And it's an important industry for Australia. We employ an enormous number of people in rural and remote communities on, on farms and we, there's a lot of pressure in terms of how meat is produced, what the consumer sees, can they trust, you know, the quality of the meat, how it's been raised, all these sorts of things, and we think there's a chance of being able to solve some of that with blockchain technology. So we're going to, we're working on a project
0: to see if if we can do that. Yeah, I'm going to take a quick step back. We've been throwing out the word tokenization and you've used it to talk about digital identity and cattle and you've even hinted that there's other challenges that could be solved by tokenizing. What's your like easy definition of tokenization for someone that's never heard the word before?
1: That's not an easy question to answer because... The token itself, you think about it as a thing, but really it's simply data in a database. So what we're talking about, data in a database that, that you can trust. And when we talk about it in a blockchain context, it's data in a bar- database that you can trust because of the way the protocol operates, not because of any third party providing the trust. It's, it's sort of man, self-manufactured trust in the data.
0: So when I think when I hear the word tokenized cattle, should I just think about a value for one cow, like a token for a cow that represents that one cow? So it's like a one to one ratio.
1: Yeah, no, like it can be one to one ratio, but for the moment we're just saying it's a ledger where we're saying there is a farm that is owned by a farmer, and on that farm is this cow, right? So so that's the data that that, that so the token is is. This cow exists. Now, the, the problem with digital data is that you have to know that the cow exists, not that there's just an entry in a database, right? That has to be linked back to a real cow sometimes somehow. So when I'm talking about tokenizing, I'm really talking about digitising, taking the, the physical fact of the existence of that cow and being able to show it in a database in a way that you, you still trust that physical cow exists.
0: Okay. So let's understand a little bit about the challenge in the current cattle market and how blockchain can solve it. So what are the problems that we, we need to solve for?
1: So there's, there's six problems that relate basically to meat, money, and information. Livestock markets are physical markets. You you physically move the cow to the market, someone buys it and then physically takes that cow and puts it on their property. That physical mm-hmm. nature of it is where all the problems are. So. Firstly, there's high operational costs if you're going to sell your cow. That that transaction of taking your cow to market, storing it at the sales yards, having someone sell it and having someone else buy it and then transport it to wherever they've got to take it, that's a costly way of selling anything. So what that means is... A, you're losing value from your system in just sheer transaction costs, and B, it means that there's suboptimal allocation of, our, of capital. People are holding on to cows when they shouldn't. They should simply sell them, or people are buying the cow when they should because of the costs of, of that that transfer. You can't get in and out of cows easy. It leads to lower quality meat because that whole process is stressful for the animal. Um, You've got to put them on a truck. So you get poorer quality meat and slightly lower prices than you otherwise might. On the money side, financiers can't easily get exposure to the physical market because they actually have to buy the physical cow. When people are buying derivatives and futures and stuff, they never actually want to take custody of the asset, right? That's how oil went to negative value recently during the the stock collapse due to COVID because no one it actually costs to store it. Or well, you get a similar problem with cows. And so um, whereas there's lots of fund managers that would like exposure to the beef market at the moment because agricultural markets are quite strong, they can't. They have to take part ownership of a cow. That's that's not easy to do. And it means that farmers can't capitalise their operations properly. The About the only means of capitalising your farm is, is bank debt. So they've got all these farmers that are what they call asset rich and cash poor. So they've got a farm that's worth a lot. They've got cows that are worth a lot, but the only way that they can raise money to make improvements on their farm is through debt.
0: So we need a, a, a system that more easily connects all these parties and then showcases more transparently who has what?
1: Yeah, remove friction that comes with a physical market if you can, right? So for the beef, the, the meat packers, you know, they've got a plant that they need consistent throughput to, to manage that throughput. They've actually got to go and buy physical cows and store them in their own paddocks and they don't have the intru- instruments that let them trade risk and hedge prices. For consumers on the information side, we want regulators want to know about the history of, you know, a particular cow and therefore it's meat for um, what they call attestations that gets attached to the particular cow or meat that it's you know, that it's been raised properly, has it been grain-fed. There are a bunch of stuff that you need for export controls.
0: Particularly if you want to stamp something grass-fed or organic, and then also to be able to track back if there has been any kind of disease in the meat that have caused sickness.
1: Yep. So so if, if you get a disease, you want to go back through all the farms that the cow's been on, so it'd be nice to know all that information in semi-real time. For consumers, you've now got you know this desire for grain-fed, for uh, has it been raised in certain way, a halal type meat, etc. If you want those attestations, then at the moment the problem is it just it's not easy to replicate that information. So you tend to have a situation where the highest standard gets met by everybody because then it doesn't matter. So in Australia, I think our lamb. We are all lamb in Australia is produced halal, then everyone's compliant. We, we can't, the, the system can't distinguish between those that are or aren't, so you have to make everyone, whether you sell it as halal or not. So if you can attach different attestations to these things, you get different product marketing. You have people who could, you know, these cows have been raised in a way where you know, they've been played Beethoven every morning to them so that they're nice and relaxed and the meat's really juicy or whatever. So those are the six features that make the market less, you know, there are frictions within the market that means it doesn't perform as well as it, it, as it might, and we think potentially blockchain will solve it.
0: So you know what I'm going to ask next, right? We want to know how do you take blockchain and use it to transform a suboptimal market?
1: The secret becomes the, the cows themselves, right? We aim for a system whereby everyone can see in new real time who owns each cow, where that cow is located, and what attributes or attestations the cow possesses and that those attestations get attached to the cow in, in some sort of trustworthy way. Because if I can reliably render that information and share it, you can now create tokens, you can create ledger representations of the cow representing different rights of ownership, investment or slaughter rights in, in cows or herds of cows. So if we can take those real-world cows and, and turn them into a, a trustworthy online system or digital system, we can now start creating and trading rights in those cows. And if we can do that we get a market for rights in cows rather than a physical market for cows.
0: And this basically impacts everyone in the chain because it helps the farmers, it helps the distributors, it helps the consumers, the sellers.
1: Yep, and and, and the moneymen, the hedge funds that want exposure to, to beef in, in some way, shape or form without actually owning particular cow
0: and the investors can't forget the investors yeah when
1: he makes the world go around
0: <laughs> so in in looking at this and i know you're just starting this project you're you've been more into the putting the digital um identification on blockchain what surprises have come up in using smart contracts to digitize assets
1: i work with a, a programmer in the crypto space who's very bright and talented And it's been an interesting exercise in, you know, this is what I want it to do. No, the system can't do that, right? You're trying to stop thinking like a human. You've got to start thinking like a machine. Like, this is just data. Like, you know, things can be spoofed. You can pretend to own lots of machines. You can pretend to be lots of people. It's an interesting, different way of thinking in order to get your your head around how some of these systems work or don't work. So every time we've tried to to look at these projects, the things that, that spring out to me about these systems, one, the whole notion of private keys and custody of the private key is going to be one of the key things to overcome when you're talking about these systems. So private key doesn't work like a password. Private keys actually integral to the asset themselves, that the way that the public private key encryption works. You know, without that private key, you've you've got nothing. You can't do anything. So, there are challenges to systems where, you know, notionally the asset, what you own, is recorded on a ledger and that asset literally vanishes if you lose the private key. Like, you can't do anything with it. It's and so that that scares people you know you don't if you're talking about tokenizing for instance real estate you, you can't think of it as a token I, I don't want to lose my house just because i've lost my private key
0: right that's an impediment to mass adoption is that we've we've been reading in media about you know, people losing their keys and not being able to access their crypto accounts. And that's just with finances. But then when you put actual assets, like you said, your house or your your cattle or whatever else, then it really could become an issue.
1: And that becomes a challenge then to how you design your system. I mean, it's not the end of the road. There's, there's all kinds of different ways of structuring some of these things that that try and get around some of that. So so maybe in the case of assets, y- your blockchain becomes a record of who owns something. It's not a token token. You know, it's not something in your wallet that you lose. There's a transaction record, and that that's what records the fact of ownership of, of a particular thing. And you've got you know, there's something else that you're manipulating with your private key. So it's almost like the right to transact is what you're tokenizing, rather than the actual ownership of the thing. There's different ways of cutting it. It's a nascent concept that we've got at the moment, but it's like mining. We talk about mining rights. So so there there is a property, right? And if you want to sell that property, well, you've got to first prove that you've got the right to sell that property. And it doesn't come from just ownership of a private key. There's something else. There's some other process you go through to show that the person that owns that property is in fact you. And now that you've gone through that effort to prove that you're that person, you can now be the person that transfers that property to someone else on the record so the asset doesn't vanish because you don't have a private key you've simply got to re-establish your right to play with that asset that's one potential way of cutting it um, but the private key it, it's one of the, the main barriers to adoption the other one is tokenization you get to the point where everything of value can be turned into this kind of liquid asset that you can trade 24/7 365 then anything of value starts to look like money once it starts to look like money now you've got a whole problem with your money services business laws and your, your anti money laundering laws and you know we run the risk in this space of getting really good at tokenizing assets to the point where everything starts to look like money and everyone becomes a money services business and that's something important to try and avoid, I think, when you're designing your systems and your platforms and how to make things work. So we've we found, we've always, the, the, the two laws, the money laws and then the securities laws, it's just how you structure these systems in a way that's compliant. You have to thread the needle on those two regulatory systems.
0: To keep up with the technology. How have you been experiencing government in Australia keeping up with creating policy or regulations to open the doors for new innovation when it comes to blockchain?
1: Yeah, so the Australian government's been reasonably good at saying all the right things. and certainly has a desire to, to be open to blockchain and the technology. We're, we're not as strategic about it as, say, Singapore or, or indeed China in terms of adoption of blockchain tech. But there's, you know, the barriers here in Australia aren't quite the same as some of the barriers that you've got in the US. Our securities laws are a lot clearer in terms of what is or isn't a security. If, if you want to do something and comply with the law, it is, it is easier to do that. It's easier to work out a way to, to do that. The main challenge um, we have in Australia, we've long accepted uh, electronic transactions. We've got a specific legislation that gives validity to electronic transactions and electronic signatures in in any kind of useful way. So we don't have that kind of barrier where things have to be done with bits of paper just because a signature has to be on a bit of paper. The, The main problem that Australia has is simply its tax regime. It's had to make specific adjustments for crypto to its tax regime. We have Capital gains tax. We have, you know, income tax, and then at the state level, we've got a thing called stamp duty, which is a tax on land. You guys don't have this, but every time you buy and sell land in Australia, you've got to pay tax to the local state government called stamp duty. It's just simply a tax on the value of the land. Now, there's a lot of people out there trying to tokenize real estate. Well, you can't, you can't do that in Australia. That's you, you just you, you're breaking all kinds of laws to tokenize each token transfer would have to be registered with the local state government, and you'd have to pay stamp duty.
0: Yeah, that, I mean that really highlights how some things will be created and flourish in some jurisdictions and some territories and some things won't. I know our, our partners at National University of Singapore are working on putting real estate on blockchain and it's interesting to hear that that won't happen in Australia. So it won't be something that catches internationally based on laws in place.
1: Not until we get rid of the stamp duty. And it applies to also um, what we call asset rich corporations. So if you take your land and stick it inside a company and then tokenize the shares in the company that owns the land you've still got that problem. It just doesn't, there's no easy solution.
0: You're working with a programmer. Are there other multi at the university or people that have showed interest in getting involved in your projects?
1: There's another colleague of mine, Dr. Philippa Ryan, who also you know, specializes in this field. And uh, she's doing ethereum um, based projects. One of them is tokenizing wine. So we're tracking wine exports to try and prove the origin and and deal with all of the tax treatment of the wine so that that's automated, but shipping it between Australia and the UK. It's data, right? So if the data can be made trustworthy without people in the middle, then that's really useful data because at the moment, the internet's full of information, but you can't necessarily trust it. You, You need to find ways to make the trust travel with the data. And once you do that, you get an asset.
0: I, yeah, I think this is so important for people to hear. You know, I mean, right now people go to the internet to understand and figure out what blockchain is and what, what, what's possible with it. And as you said, they use Twitter, maybe attend conferences, listen to podcasts, but it's, it's great to hear the, the thinking and the process, identifying challenges, creating potential applications around it. And I get lit up when new people get excited about it or understand about it because. I'm really passionate about growing the ecosphere and furthering research and development in the field.
1: It's a space where you need to show rather than tell. You need to have something that people can get their head around because it actually works and, and in what way it works. The, one of the problems with the adoption of blockchain is you know, people say this is a blockchain project. Well, no one, no, no one actually cares about whether it uses public key encryption or not. It just has to work and it has to work better than what was there before or be able to let you do something in a way that's better than what was there before. And to do that, you've got to demonstrate it. So we're going through a process at the moment first of we're trying hard not to make big claims about what this tech does because maybe it doesn't do it. So That's the nature of the research. Let's, you know, really dig deep and see if we can make this thing actually happen.
0: I'm asking... um If there's anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to say or talk about. Whoever
1: created Bitcoin didn't wait for the government to change the money laws. They just said, we need a better money. Let's do something. That's the ethic that I'm kind of taking into these projects, which is, firstly, you try and structure your innovation in a way that's voluntary. You you want a system that assumes that users will use it because it's more useful than what exists, not because somebody's changed a law that forces them to use a particular system or you find the barriers in the existing regulation by trying to design the system in a way that makes it work with the current laws and regulations. And only if you can't do that, you you try and get a change. It's just a delightful process at the moment to be able to do that. With the cows, I can sit down with somebody knowledgeable in the field. We can design the workings of of a system for tokenizing cattle then we can go to the relevant people and say, hey, look, we've been able to do this. This technology actually can make this work. What do you think? Do you, do you want to take it further? You know, I have to say thanks to Ripple for, for making that opportunity available. It's a, it's a different and better way of being able to do practical research.
0: We really appreciate what you've been working on. Where do you want to send people to find out about your work?
1: They can go to the ANU College of Law website, which is law.com anu.edu.au or better still they can they can drop me an email and I'm very happy to talk to them about it it's Chamberlain at anu.edu.au
0: perfect scott thank you for taking risks and challenging the status quo and for pioneering new research with this technology
1: thank you for having me it's been a pleasure
0: Such a pleasure hosting you on this podcast and listeners, thanks for tuning in. If you have any questions about this episode or feedback for new episodes, please reach out to ubri at ripple.com.